Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat, Boston Sports Podcast. And in this week's episode, we are going to be looking at the Celtics' first two games against Atlanta, the Bruins and their series, which is split, and some Patriots' Will Levis news that came out recently um, about the team meeting with him and what that could mean for the draft and their team overall. So, uh, let's uh, get into it and uh, go from there. So, Celtics played the Atlanta Hawks in two games so far, both at home. And the Celtics had a very good uh, two games. Uh, first game, 112-99 victory, which was uh, a big win for this team. 25 uh, points for Tatum, 11 rebounds. Um, and Marcus Smart had 11 with 7 assists and 7 rebounds. 24 for Derek White with... Um, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, and Jalen Brown, 29 points, 12 rebounds, and starting uh, 12 and 8 off the bench for Robert Williams. In this game, they only played Hauser, Robert Williams, and Brogdon off the bench, um, with the rest of the guys not getting their minutes. Um, it was a good game all around. Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, all 20-plus points. Pretty good. Um, Tatum and Brown double-doubles. Um, nobody really had the greatest game in um, Atlanta except for DeJounte Murray, who had 24 points. Uh, Trey Young had 16 and 8, but everyone else kind of had, like, in the starting lineup, 11 points, 12 points. Um, they played a little bit more of their, uh, their lineups uh, on this one, uh, playing some more guys on the bench. But no one really um, got, uh, you know, a ton of um, points and rebounds and whatnot. And so... It was definitely a Celtics game. They shot uh, 47.7% from the field and 83% from the line. uh, And just a share under 40% from the three. So it was a very good game. Number one for um, the uh, Boston Celtics in this one. Which obviously um, is exactly what we would have uh, wanted in this series. So Celtics um, riding high. Going into game two, um, expected to win, and as we all know, um, they ended up getting that victory when they needed to. And we got a 119-106 victory, which was um, a very good game from uh, all aspects. Uh, We got Tatum with 29-10, double-double once again. He was our leading scorer. We ended up getting uh, 14 from Marcus Smart. And 18 from Jalen Brown. Derek White had a great game as well. 26 points. He's averaging 25 points in this playoffs. um, And has definitely stepped up um, when needed, for sure. Um, He's had some great games uh, during the regular season and now in the playoffs. And I think, you know, he has constantly been our number three guy behind Tatum and uh, Brown. To the point where it's not even close. And obviously, um, you know... That's important to have someone else who can kind of get it done. And they've been playing in this with two guard lineups because the two guard, DeJounte Murray and um, Trey Young, obviously, um, you got to kind of combat that. And some teams are obviously going to be uh, very, um, what I would say, uh, big heavy or wing heavy. Some teams are more guard heavy in their starting lineup. And this is a more traditional point guard, shooting guard. Uh, small forward, power forward, center. Celtics are matching up with that. Uh, I mean, it's uh, a pretty good uh, game. Uh, One and two for the Celtics. And, you know, their players have been doing great. And I think, you know, 
we got to keep Derek White in the starting lineup because he's done very well so far, and I think, you know, it's something where he needs to, uh, you know, keep uh, playing. And even in some series, maybe when you're playing against, uh, you know, Joel Embiid and Milwaukee, uh, and, uh, you know, if you play against uh, uh, whoever, the Knicks or Cleveland, or I don't know what team is going to be the next matchup for the Celtics, and I don't know who they'll play in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, in all said and done, you know, Derek White and Marcus Smart as a tandem has been good. And I think Al Horford is great. And I think Robert Williams is good as a backup big. And, you know, it's one of those things where in the playoffs, you're not really going to get a lot of players playing unless there's a reason for it, like foul trouble or whatnot. And so the Celtics are probably going to stick with this sort of... uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Sam Hauser, and, um, you know, the Robert Williams bench. And maybe Grant Williams is the fourth guy if they need to get someone. But also at the same time, I got to figure, like, you don't really need to use him right now. But eventually, depending on matchups and sizing and everything, it might change things. Because, you know, if you have Giannis and you have Bobby Portis, and you're going to have to kind of match up well with them. Obviously, you know, if Al Horford's on the bench, you need someone in there who can kind of keep his own. Obviously, Grant Williams is not the same size or build as Giannis, but if he can take take on Draymond Green, he can take on Giannis. And so, you know, I think it's um, a great thing to see. So um, we're going to be getting Game 3 coming up in Atlanta, and this is a series where I think there could be sort of this, um, you know, split uh, series in Atlanta where they could win one game and lose one game and and then you kind of go back to Boston and hopefully close it out in five. They look like a team that could sweep, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But I'm thinking it's going to be probably five games with a split series in Atlanta, and then we're going to get one back home. That'll be a nice uh, victory for sure. So uh, a series uh, significantly in our favor. Um, now going to the uh, playoffs uh, for the Bruins. Um, that's been um, something to talk about as well. Um, I'm going to be honest, I haven't really followed a lot of hockey up until this year. I've kind of been kind of in and out of it, if you will. And the Bruins are a team that, um, you know, have been so uh, great this season. They ended up winning 3-1 to in the first game. They ended up losing 6-3 to in the second one. And so now they go to Florida, which... Um, you know, that's going to be uh, two games in Florida, which hopefully they can split that or win those. And it's tough because, you know, everyone expects them to be so dominant. And when they lose, you know, it's unexpected. They had the best sort of record this season, 65 wins, and they really just killed it. But, you know, the game two kind of took some of the momentum out of it. And when I was watching the game, it was kind of like, a back and forth, you know, the Panthers scored, the Bruins scored, the Panthers scored, the Bruins scored, and then it was 2-2, and then it became 3-2, and I was like, oh, well, the Bruins can come back and get another goal, and it just didn't um, really happen uh, that way, and they just went 4-2, and then after that point, it just was, was over, and so I was a little upset with how things turned out, but I guess uh, game three, they'll kind of bounce back from that. I expect them to win, because... You know, this is a resilient team, and the players are great. And I got to say, like, they brought in so many just midseason acquisitions, and you know, between Dmitry Olov and Bertuzzi and uh, 
Garnet Hearthaway, and uh, you know they just upgraded, and they did give up some first round picks and second round picks and some future draft capital, which you might be thinking, okay, they've done that for so long, and you know I think it's it's tough to eventually uh, deal with uh, the lack of draft capital, but it's to win a championship and to win the Stanley Cup and to you know become the the greatest team this year and obviously you know if they can win the Stanley Cup they'll be in sort of that sort of Golden State greatest record uh, Miami Dolphins perfect season you know it kind of caps off that you know successful sort of regular season with the championship and you know when Jordan had his his season seventy. I think it was 72 uh, wins or whatever it was. That was a big deal. So I think the Bruins are going to be all right. And, uh, you know, game three, they'll come out strong. I don't really think there'll be any issues there. And uh, we'll be able to, you know, keep rolling, which is uh, important. So moving to the Red Sox. um, A little bit with the Red Sox um, because they are uh, not doing so good this year. Uh, It's still... um, Still early, but it's it's not looking so hot. They are last place in the uh, American League East. Uh, they just, I don't know what's going on, but their team uh, hasn't really uh, been um, doing so hot. And um, it is a, a tough situation uh, to be in because, you know, they are kind of, uh, you know, struggling um they are a game and a half back of toronto they're only six and a half games back but tampa bay just looks so good um they uh in their last uh however many games um have uh been up and down uh they took two out of three with the twins they took two actually three out of four with the angels but lost a clean sweep with tampa bay four of those games um you know that just, uh, you know, happened. Uh, so not really so hot, for sure. Uh, but um, that is uh, where they're at. Um, they just had the announcements for the Coach of the Year. And Coach of the Year went to the um, Mike Brown, who left Golden State Warriors and became the head coach of the Kings. But... You have to figure Joe Missoula was up there for Coach of the Year at some point because they were not the number one seed in the Western Conference, the Kings. Obviously, they made the playoffs and they were a great team with him as a head coach, but Joe Missoula had to deal with the fact that he comes in as a new head coach and is with a team and had to deal with all of those issues, and they were still great. Granted, they were in the finals last year, so I really don't think you can get Coach of the Year if you're in the finals the year before and then come in and you make the playoffs again and could be in the finals again. And, you know, that's uh, something to uh, really uh, think about. But, you know, Mike Brown is definitely deserving of that. Uh, Winning a championship with Golden State and then moving on and getting this award, you know, that's big. But Celtics did get something. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year. It was Malcolm Brogdon and Emmanuel Quickly were fighting it out, dogging it out for that uh, award. Um, and he got a bunch of those, um, Brogdon edged out quickly, uh, garnering 60 out of the 100 first place votes and compiling 408 total points ahead of quickly, 34 first place votes and 326 total points 
in what is likely to be one of the closer races uh, in this year's slate of awards. Um, Bobby Portis, I guess, came in third as well. But, um, you know, this is uh, something. Um, and he actually said something. They had an interview TNT with the award or whatever. So here's what he said. Quote, it's such an honor. It's definitely been a transition for me coming from Indiana to Boston um, as part of this award. But I'm with a great organization. I have great teammates, a great coaching staff. Uh, Joe has taken over and done great. And I want to thank those guys. And so um, those were his words. Uh, and it's crazy to me that Brogdon kind of came over as an under-the-radar move. We basically got rid of Daniel Tice, Nesmith, a first-round pick, and some scrubs. Which is one of the better deals that we've made. Brad Stevens just making home run after home run. I mean, more and more each day, these moves are just panning out. Kemba Walker, who knows what's going to happen with him. You know, Al Horford's been great for us. You know, Josh Richardson, he was a good player, but eh, not uh, the greatest fit. We got Derek White in there. And Romeo Langford, uh, he's gone. And that pick, you know, not really much there. It's a low first-round pick. Um... Uh, when it happened, and this Brogdon pick in 2023 is going to be also low. Um, it just works out, you know. Brad Stevens has been making moves. He's playing chess while everyone's playing checkers, and he knows what he's doing. Two steps, three steps ahead, and, you know, this is a, a big deal. Uh, you know, Brogdon has been one of our better players, and Brogdon has filled this role so nicely, and I got to be honest, uh, there were reports that Brogdon... Uh, had interest from Boston and Toronto, and I don't know if Indiana said, hey, where do you want to go? Um, maybe both teams had offers on the table, and Brogdon probably was like, I'll see, you know, which one. I mean, who wouldn't want to come to Boston? They were, at the time, just getting out of the championship run. They didn't win. You know, Brogdon comes in, and oh, now, you know, that's, you know, a chance at a championship for him. But more importantly, why would you want to go to Toronto? Like, they're a, a mess right now. Like, they have no direction. They still have, like, Van Vliet and Siakam and these holdovers from their championship run. And they have Scotty Barnes and some other guys, Gary Trent Jr. They're just a mess. And, you know, why would you want to go and play on a team that's that just dysfunctional? Doesn't make sense to me, but clearly Brogdon made the right choice. I don't know if he would have been sixth man of the year in another spot, uh, Toronto or otherwise. Maybe he would have, uh, but uh, he's definitely stepped in, stepped up, and has been a big part of this team. And I think, you know, the Celtics have valued having guys who can do sort of a bunch of different things and can, you know, shoot and score and defend. And you got versatile guards and wings. And I think, you know, all three of our point guards – uh, Derek White, Marcus Smart, and Brogdon can play the point guard and the shooting guard, can do multiple things, extend their range, and, you know, it's great to see him get this award because it's well-deserved, and I think he's definitely, um, you know, one of the better bench pieces out there, and, you know, he's going to be a big part of why we're so successful when it comes into the playoffs because he is so dominant as a player, and he helps us in ways that, can't even imagine and it's crazy to think like the amount of depth pieces that we've had in the past however many years and you know if you look at our championship runs and what we've come to and sort of all of our battles with you know LeBron and um 
you know, everything. Our roster was just totally different. Um, and the Celtics roster has changed so much. And our depth is there. And our pieces are just better. And, you know, everybody fills their role. And it's 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 great to see. And, you know, I think uh, he is um, a, uh, a very good, um, very good player, uh, for sure. Um, Brogdon becomes... The second player ever to win Sixth Man of the Year and Rookie of the Year. Um, Mike Miller was uh, the one to get that uh, as well. Um, he is also the third Celtics player in franchise history to win the award following Kevin McHale, who won it twice, and Bill Walton, who won it in 1986. So that's pretty good company, to be honest. Um, and so congratulations to Sixth Man of the Year, Malcolm Brogdon. He has definitely deserved his role, and, you know, it's got to be tough going from Indiana where you were projected to be sort of a starter there and then come to uh, Boston as a six-man. I mean, I don't know if he would have been a starter with, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and Duarte and whatnot, but he was a starter for a while there and had injuries not taken hold. He would have had more of an impact in his time, but... Um, you know, it's great to have him here, and I think, you know, he's in a good role and a good place here, and it's good to see. So congratulations on the award, and, you know, let's hopefully win a championship to go with it. Now I want to switch gears to a few things involving the Patriots. We have some big news involving uh, probably the least uh, favorable Patriot from last season. Matt Patricia is gone. This is official. There was rumors of him going to the Denver Broncos, which that just never happened but he is now going to the Philadelphia Eagles. He is going to be a senior defensive uh, assistant. Um, he has a lot of uh, knowledge on the defensive side of things, but he is definitely not someone who's great on the offensive side of things. And I got to be honest, when the season ended, I didn't really think he was going to stick around that long because it's one of those things where he just wasn't that good. And the Patriots, you know, kind of... Um, let him kind of just linger, um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, it's a difficult situation to, to have someone who was such a great defensive coordinator do our, during our championship run, and then come to the Patriots on this offensive side of things and just kind of, uh, fail, if you will, and so now he gets a, a second chance at sort of, um, what to come, and, I think there's uh, nothing really too bad about that. Uh, so he's got to definitely uh, enjoy it um, for sure. Now, the next thing, which is very interesting, um, the Patriots apparently had um, a top 30 visit on the final day. They were allowed to do that, which was Will Levis, quarterback. Um, and sources, uh, this is from Ian Rappaport, sources say, uh, part of their due diligence to prepare for any scenario a week from now, New England's pick 14. So, is there a world in which the Patriots look at Will Levis because they believe maybe he can be available at 14? Now, this is something to think about here. Maybe Mac Jones has just angered Belichick because of all the stuff going on. And there have been sort of outside reports that maybe Bill has looked to trade him. That could just be smoke and mirrors. But if, let's say, 14 rolls around 
And Will Levis is still on the board. And all of the top tackles are off the board. Cornerbacks, Witherspoon and uh, Gonzalez are off the board. You know, JSN's off the board. And maybe the Patriots aren't interested in another wide receiver until later in the draft. And they could go with Joey Porter Jr., but maybe they feel like there's other corners in the second and third or fourth round they can go for. And so you can go, you know, in a bunch of different directions, but maybe they go with Will Levis because they feel like he could be a quarterback of the future. And maybe he is the guy for their team. And he could end up being a big part of their future. They have Bailey Zappi, and maybe they feel like, well, if we get Zappi for a year, he's close enough to Mac Jones, we can you know, get something going there, and then, you know, Will Levis steps in in a year. Maybe that's what their game plan is. Who knows? Um, they did look at Anthony Richardson, and um, as much as I like Anthony Richardson, I don't know if a mobile quarterback of his nature is the best for the Patriots. I think this is more, Will Levis is more their style, which is not to say that they can't get a mobile quarterback, but Cam Newton didn't really work out, and I don't know if they're going to go for one at this point in time with Bill Belichick as the head coach. Maybe if Gerard Mayo steps up as the head coach next, then they might change their tune. But for now, um, I think Bill is going to stick to more um, the Tom Brady type, Garoppolo type, uh, Mac Jones type. Um, but it doesn't mean that uh, they wouldn't go for Richardson if he was there at 14. But all signs point to him being the uh, third overall quarterback taken. And so that also means that potentially Will leave his slips because... If you look at the board um, and you go with all of these choices, fifth overall pick Seahawks, they have Geno Smith. They don't need a quarterback. Sixth overall pick is the Lions. They're more invested in Jared Goff, and maybe next year they'll get a quarterback. And they're probably not going to go for one right now. Uh, Seven is the Raiders, but the Raiders have now Brian Hoyer with Jimmy Garoppolo. I just don't see them going for another quarterback. And... I think they're going to stick with what they have. Maybe they'll go for one in the later rounds, so they'll keep Jimmy G, but they'll go for like a, you know, a Stenson Bennett or like a Dorian Thompson Robinson or, you know, somebody else, uh, a Max Duggar or um, somebody else, Malik Cunningham. I don't know, but uh, I don't see them going for a quarterback this high. Um, we have, uh, after them... Uh, the Falcons, who have Desmond Ritter, I don't think they're going to go for another quarterback um, high either because I think they're going to stick with Ritter for the time being. And there are just other stuff they can go for. They need a lot of things. Um, then we have the Chicago Bears at number uh, nine. Um, and if you want me to be 100% honest, if the Bears were going for a quarterback, they wouldn't have traded down from one. They would have kept one and then traded Justin Fields to get a first-round pick and some other stuff. So they're not going for a quarterback. 10 is going to be the Eagles, no shot. Um, They have Jalen Hurts, who just got his money. Um, They have at 11 the Titans, who are going to keep most likely Tannehill and Malik Willis. So um, one of those two guys will be starting on day one. They're not going to bring a third quarterback into that mix, Um, at least one of the Levis category, because he would be your, like, day one starter or your you know, eventual starter, and that's not going to happen with these guys here. Um, Maybe they'll draft one in the future, but not right now. Um, And then you have, obviously, um, the Texans at 12, which I don't think they would double up on quarter. And I guess I could see a scenario in which they 
technically don't draft one at two, and they go for like a, a Will Anderson, and then they hope to to get somebody later on. But that would also kind of go along with everything else here. So if you're basically getting rid of a quarterback at two, you're going to draft one here, and it's probably going to be Anthony Richardson. Then if you go to 13, um, they're still uh, with the Jets looking for uh, the Aaron Rodgers deal. Maybe if that kind of fails, they could see Will Levis as an option. Uh, but eh, I think they're going to go with like a tackle because that's what they need. And so you get to the Patriots at 14. So the Patriots doing their due diligence, this could just be something that Bill is doing solely to be like, hey, we're interested in Levis potentially. Does anyone want to trade with us so we can get something? Because if there's a team out there that says, hey, we really want Will Levis, then are they going to you know, trade up to do so? Like if Tampa Bay is like, well, we want one of those quarterbacks, we'll trade up and we'll give you something like... That's a possibility, right? Tampa Bay is not going to overpay, per se, but if Tampa Bay was going to offer us 19 and like a third round pick for um, 14, maybe they'll be like, hey, we really want Will Levis. We'll give you a second with our first, and maybe we'll take a fourth round pick back in return, and then the Patriots might get something more out of them than expected. Or you could get the Lions, who are like, well, we're not going to draft a quarterback all the way up there at 6, but we'll do one at, you know, 14. So they could trade 18 and something else. And, you know, they have two second-round picks. They could try and do something, the same thing. We'll take a second and 18 for 14 and a fourth-round pick, or maybe a third. Yeah, it's possible. But, again, this could also be the Patriots going for Will Levis because, a, they feel like the difference between uh, Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones is totally, you know, uh, close. And B, maybe they feel like Will Levis might be someone who's more of a coachable guy like a Bailey Zappi, whereas Mac Jones was more of a outspoken type of person. And as much as Mac Jones was with Bill O'Brien for that year, maybe Bill O'Brien wants to have a quarterback to come in for his own. Maybe he wants someone who can come in straight from the gate and it could be a situation where he wants his own sort of pet project rather than someone who in a lot of cases could be seen as uh, Josh McDaniel's pet project because he was there when he was drafted in the first place and I don't know but I think it's very very um, unlikely that Will Levis is coming to New England but it's not out of the question in my opinion if they drafted him I honestly wouldn't be 100% surprised if he was on the board and they went for it. I guess the question at that point would be, what would you do with Mac Jones and how much value could you get from Mac Jones, you know? So maybe the Patriots are in a spot where they trade him to a team and get a second-round pick and, you know, make something happen. Or maybe a team like, you know, Minnesota is like, well, we really want a quarterback. We don't want to draft Henton Hooker because he's a little high at this point. Let's trade for Mac Jones. You know, the Patriots could trade Mac Jones with like a fourth round pick um, and they could get a pick 23 out of this. And, you know, maybe they do draft Will Levis and go for like a wide receiver at 23 or something. I don't know. But it's a situation where you could see this, you know, maybe the Saints trade 29 for Mac Jones and they're like, well, we want a quarterback, but not that high. And so the Patriots have a quarterback at 14 and they draft someone else at 29. Who knows? So it's a situation where um, I don't think they're going to get Will Levis, and this is interesting that they're kind of looking at him, but they're probably looking more so in the case of 
if he's there at 14, let's take a peek and see what we're looking at because he might be someone that we'd actually consider. And it's not like a far-fetched uh, situation to me because if he is available, then they do it. You know what I mean? So I think, uh, you know, they're just doing their due diligence. I really don't think there's much coming from it, but um, you never really know, to be honest. 